book of Hebrews is an incredible book. I feel a little bit like, like the book of Isaiah. Um, and, and, and if you'll allow me, I want to take some time before we get into Hebrews. I want to set the stage. But I feel like Isaiah today. I'm, I really did. I, I actually got to church just a little bit early and, and sat in my office and I, I prayed this prayer. But Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 6, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. High and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple, and above him stood the seraphims. Those are angels. The angels, each of them, have six wings. With, with, two, the wing, you know, with two of their wings, they would cover their face. With two of the wings, they would cover their feet. And with two of the wings, they did fly. And, and then they would call one to another, these angels, these seraphims, they would call over and over, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And the whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook with the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. That's an incredible thing. It was the, the Isaiah, he, he was seeing, if you will, the divine presence of God. Other places, Ezekiel saw it too. He said it looked like a wheel in the middle of a wheel. But, but in the middle of all that, Isaiah is, I mean, can you imagine in the humanity that we have, his, his, his vision is overwhelmed. What he hears is overwhelmed. If he was able to touch anything, that was overwhelming. Every sense of him was was astounded by the glory of God. And this was his response. Woe is me, for I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. But my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. What Isaiah was saying, now he didn't mean he was a sinner. That's not what he meant when he said he was lost. I mean, Isaiah was, was working for God. He was walking with God. You've already had six chapters, five chapters of God talking to Isaiah. He wasn't some reprobate sinner out there. But when he got into the presence of God, he was overwhelmed. And if you kept going, God says, now say this to the people. And Isaiah's like, how in the world? Can what I have seen, how can I explain it? How can I get the glory of God that I've been a part of? And how in the world can these lips of clay ever explain it? And that's how I feel tonight. How in the world can I take Hebrews and the glory contained therein? And I've said, Lord, I, I think I understand it. And, and to be honest, that there's parts of me that, that my mind still just kind of goes, wow, what a God. But how in the world do I explain it? How do I take 35, 40 minutes, and, and even just take one or two chapters. How, how in the world do I, do I give this to people so that they can see it? All I can say is, Lord, touch these lips. It's your word. It's your power. And we're going to do that today. But in, in doing so, one of the things that we read in the book of Hebrews is that there is a lot of language of father and of son and if we're not careful, now I've told you that I love the New Living Translation and I use it all the time. But if we're not careful, we can get sucked into uh, taking the easy road out when it comes to understanding the Word of God. And, and I, I don't want us to ever think, and it's dangerous, and I, I've been reading commentaries. In fact, what I'm going to do tonight, there's no way that I can hit on every point and hit on, on the, the full scope of the book of Hebrews. It would take... You might as well have a three-hour lecture and, and, and do that a couple days a week, and then maybe we could really delve into it. But I use commentaries. I use books. I'm reading the Word of God. I'm, I'm praying, and all of that is there. But for those of you who says, I want more, 
May I recommend to you a book that, that I, I, I got a hold of? I actually had it for a while. I think I even read it probably for one of my classes. But I picked it back up. It just kind of was sitting on my desk. But it's called Hebrews. It's Better Things. It's, there, there's two volumes, volume number one and volume number two. And it's written by uh, Dr. Dan Seagraves. He is an incredible teacher and, and, and minister in the United Pentecostal Church organization. You can get it at the Pentecostal Publishing House, and uh, it's not going to be that much. But if you really want to, to really delve into it, go get that book. You might even see some things in there that I'm going to preach about and talk about. But if you really wanted to get it, then that's, that, that's one place I'd start if you want to just delve into everything. But in order to get into the, uh, the understanding, I want to I take a moment so that we know how exactly to read the book of Hebrews. I want to take you first to Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4. You know it, but let me just start here and you'll understand why. If you'll put that up, brother, I think that's brother Mike back there. This is, this is one of the most emphatic statements concerning God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is, say it with me, one Lord. We, we don't serve a, a, a triune God. There's not three gods in heaven. We don't even serve a, a dualist God where there's two gods in heaven. In fact, the, the, there's only one throne. You can see it. An, another place in the Bible says he's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. But let me take you a little bit further. Talking about this one God. If you went to a Jew, you went to a Hebrew you know, one that, 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 that's a practicing of Jewish, and you ever dared to say there's more than one God, they would be horribly offended. If you go talk to a Muslim and try to convince a Muslim there's more than one God, they'd be horribly offended. Because there is only, I'm not saying that they all serve the same God, understand. There's some twisting in some of that. But there is one God. But let me take you a little bit further. Turn to uh, the book of Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. Put it up on the screen. Again, these are ones you know. For in him, him... And, and I don't have time to go through it all, but it, him is referring to Jesus Christ, okay? In Jesus Christ dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That word Godhead, it means the power, the majesty, everything that God is. That's what it means when it says Godhead. So what it means is that everything in all of God dwelled in Jesus. Now, we go, how, how do we understand that? Let me take the next one, uh, First uh, Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. Now watch this. I love this. And without controversy, meaning that there, there, you don't have to argue, argue about this. There's no debate. Great is the mystery of godliness. And then that, that colon right there means let's explain this. This is what the mystery of godliness is. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, Seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. Now, do you understand how all that happens? No, not really. I don't, I, it's hard for me to comprehend that all of God can be manifest in the flesh. It's hard for me to understand that, but that's why there's a little bit of mystery around it. But today, we're going to jump into the book of Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 2, taking it from those three verses. I want to show you. Why Jesus is better. That's what the book of Hebrews is all about. Jesus is better. Jesus is greater. And, and would, you, would you allow me, I don't want to bore you, but if you're bored by the word of God, we have other issues going on. 
I want you to turn with your Bibles, get your phone, it'll be up on the screen. But I think it would behoove us, before we do any commentating, before we do any talking about what it is, I think we ought to start with the Word of God. Is that fair enough? In fact, the greatest uh, way to understand the Bible is to read the Bible. I I have a, a... a practice, and I try to do it. I would say that I'm success, successful 90% of the time. But I try to always read the Bible first before I read any other commentaries or teachings on that Bible verse. Because I think you ought to start with what it says and then work your way from there. Sometimes, if you're not careful, reading the Word of God, God will tell you exactly what it means before you have to get into anywhere else. And so I want to start there, and so I'm going to let Brother uh, 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 Mike follow along, and uh, we're going to go there. So, so I'm going to read it in the King James, even though that's, that's sometimes hard to understand, but because that's the version that most of you have, that's where we'll start. And then we'll take some time to go through it. God, that's a good place to start. God, who at sundry times and in divers' manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who, being in the brightness of his glory and the expressed image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had, pur- he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath, inher- as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again, I will be unto him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And, 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 when, he had, and when he bringeth in the first begotten unto the world, he saith, Let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels he saith, Who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire, but unto the son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. And thou, Lord, in the beginning hath laid the foundation of the earth. And the heavens are the work of thine hands, and they shall perish. But thou remainest, and they all shall wax old as doth a garment. And as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, they shall be changed, but thou art the same, and thy thy years shall not fail. But to which of the angels said he at any time, sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? We'll start right there for a minute, and we'll, we'll take some time to go through it. There's power in that. In verses 2 and 3, first off, you you have this understanding that in the Old, in, in the Old Testament, in the times before, in the Old, you have God speaking through prophets. God speaking through through uh, uh, people like Isaiah and Jeremiah, even King David and the Psalms and, and all of that. But now he's speaking to us through someone and something totally, it's, it's new for them. Now they're not hearing a prophet talk about God. God came down and talked about himself. One of the greatest things that I'm hoping I can get across to you tonight is the power of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. 
In fact, for those of you that are wondering, let me see if I can find it real quick. Uh, for those of you that are wondering, and I probably got it off, oh man, I, I had going on my phone a countdown until Christmas. We're 108 days, and then I had all the way the hours and minutes and the seconds. Pretty soon you'll start hearing Christmas music. And you know, and that, that's going to come. But, but the incarnation is not something we ought to talk about just in December. God coming to earth is, is the basis of everything we believe and we understand. And that's what I want to talk about today. And that's why we, we say that, that Jesus is greater. No longer, and, and now, now please, please, the, 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 new, the Old Testament is important. Did you know, I should know this, I don't know how many verses are in the, in the New Testament. I, I should know that, I should have found that out. But did you know that in the New Testament, there are over 800 references to the Old Testament? Did you know that? I mean, if you read, if you read uh, Acts chapter 2, the sermon that, that Peter gave, if you took out everything in that sermon that was Peter quoting or pulling from the Old Testament, you would have a, a, like a three-sentence sermon. When you read in the New Testament and it says the Scriptures have said, the New Testament was not yet written. They didn't have those quite yet. When they would talk about the Scriptures and, and they would preach, guess what word they used? They used the Old Testament. Peter and Paul could preach entire sermons about Jesus Christ just pulling from the Old Testament. It's incredible. And, and so, but, but now it's something different. Now it's not Isaiah talking about God. Now you have in your Bible, you have something incredible. Most of you, you have a Bible that has red letters, and that's Jesus' own words. Now it's not God speaking through a prophet. Now you've got the words of God himself when he walked on this earth. You got the Sermon on the Mount straight from his mouth. The incarnation is incredible. And, and in verses 2 and 3, we list, or, or rather the, the writer of Hebrews lists seven characteristics of Jesus Christ. And I want to, I want to take, take a, few time, a, few, a few moments to go. Number one, Jesus Christ is the heir of all things. Now, the incarnation is so necessary in order for there to be a, 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 an heir of what God had planned. Let me put you back in the Garden of Eden. God created all the earth. You see that in the first couple of, of verses and, and, and chapter 1. You see all that. But then, here we go to chapter 2, and now God creates man, creates Adam. He breathes into him life. Made, the Bible says, in the image of God. God designed Adam to be able to, to be the heir of what God wanted to do. God said, I want you to have dominion over everything on this earth. I want you to have everything that, that I can possibly give. I want you to just, I want you to have everything. It was perfect. It was peaceful. It was calm. And in that, one of the fallen angels named Lucifer comes and he introduces sin into humanity. And because of the sin of Adam, mankind became disqualified from the things of God. It, it, it kicked him out, if you will. Literally, it kicked him out of the garden and, and, a, and a, a angel with a flaming sword blocked the entrance back for Adam and Eve to come back into the garden. There was nothing there. And, and so this disqualification of sin caused Adam and all of the offspring forever to never be able to fully receive the eternal blessings of God. 
Do you know why God didn't want Adam to come back in the garden? Because there was the tree of life in the garden. And if Adam would have continued to eat of the tree of life, he would have lived forever. And he would have lived forever in a disqualified state. Separated. That's what sin does. It separates us from God. And so God said, I want to to take care of that. But do you know that verse in the Bible? It says, it says, I think it's in Romans chapter 8, I believe. Uh, uh, but, but it says that, that we are joint heirs with Christ. Christ, the, the incarnation, God coming down to earth. God becoming flesh. And we're going to take a lot of time tonight to talk about that. God becoming flesh was in order to get you and I the opportunity to get back into qualification with God. To get back into a place where I could stand before God like you and I are doing tonight and lift up hands and not have to worry about the wrath of God. I could say, God, you're here. Jesus Christ is the heir of all things. Now, the, the second thing that it says, it says that by, by him, that, that through him the worlds were made. Now, let me tell you that, that this doesn't mean that that you you got two two gods up there. You've got God the Father, and then you got Jesus Christ, and somehow Jesus Christ existed before he was born. That's not what it means because the Bible says there was one God. The idea it brings to mind what the writer of John said. The writer said that that in, in, in John chapter one it says, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made. What it means is it's more than just trying to understand. God, Jesus is God manifest in the flesh, and so you can't separate him. The, the power of God was there present in creation. The power of God was present in an Abraham's life. The power of God was present even when they were in bondage, in captivity. And the power of God was present in Bethlehem. The power of God was present in Galilee. The power of God was there. In, in John's term, God's word is eternal. In John's understanding, his word goes through. It, it, it's hard to understand that. That word means logos, and there's so many different ways to look at that. But one of the simplest ways to understand is that the word is the very life of God. It breathed on creation, and life sprang forth when he spoke things into existence. But it was also in Jesus that God's life, if you will, was manifest, was made known in a genuine, in a complete, in an authentic human existence, as one writer put it. Now, don't, don't, don't get too far off of that because we'll come back in a little bit. It, 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 means, it, it means some things. Let, let's look at the third thing. The Bible says that Jesus is the brightness of his glory, the brightness of the glory of God. You can't separate the glory of God from God. Everything about God is glory. In fact, let me read you Isaiah 42 verse 8. This is what Isaiah said, and it's God speaking. He says, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another. So this is why I want you to understand the completeness of Jesus Christ, God, manifest in the flesh. It's God where you can actually see him, if you will. Because God, it's not two things. God is never going to say, hey, why don't I give you some glory for a while? His own word says, I won't give my glory to any other because there is one 
God. But, but the Bible, the, the writer of Hebrews says that Jesus is the brightness of his glory. One of the ways you can look at that in, in the, uh, let's go all the way back to the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. The Ten Commandments, if you will. When you begin to read about all of that in the book of, of Exodus and, and go through that, what do you see? You, you, you see that Moses on top of a mountain and there's lightning and thunder and fire and there's brightness and there's glory. It was so bright that when Moses came down, he couldn't, he couldn't hardly, people couldn't hardly look at him. He, his face shone, put a veil over it. That word glory in the Hebrew scriptures has to do with the visible glory of God. What I read in, in Isaiah, Isaiah said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. What he was seeing was the glory of God. But Jesus is the, ex, the brightness of his glory, the expressed image of his glory. What it means is at, at, at a point of time in Bethlehem, God became flesh so that you, well, if we would have been there, but so that, that humanity could see him. In Moses, there was a point in Moses' life where, where Moses said, God, I want to see you. And Moses said, all right, put your face in the crack of the rock. I'm going to cover you with my hand. And as I pass by, I'll uncover you and you can see my, my, my back. Because no man can see God and live is what the, the understanding was. And so Moses got to see just a little bit of the glory of God. But with the incarnation... We see the brightness of his glory. It goes even farther than that. It's not just the brightness of his glory, but the fourth expression that is used in this is the the expressed image of his person. That Jesus Christ is the exact representation of God. He, he's, he's, as Paul put it in Colossians chapter 1, he said he is the image of an invisible God. God said, I want finally to be able to walk among you. I want you to be able to see me and talk to me. And so God became flesh. And so the fifth thing, and we're, this is why I don't know how far I can get because we're, we're, we're on the fifth point and we're only on like the third or fourth verse. <laughs> but the fifth thing that he is, the Bible says, is in addition that to, to being God made visible, Jesus Christ also upholds all things by the word of his power. That phrase means that, 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 that it's by his powerful word. Now, let me, let, me, let me ask you a question, okay? We understand that God is one. We understand that God was manifest in the flesh. We understand that Jesus is God. We're getting there. I remember when I went to Bible college and, you know, I was raised in this. My dad's a, a preacher. Uh, I, you know, I, all I know is church. All I know is sermons. And I sat down in, in the class and, and it was a, a class on the Godhead, on, on, on having to understand who God is and how God flows through the Bible. And, and, and this is what happens. You'll appreciate this. Um, he, he said, Brandon, he said, explain God. Okay. 17 years old, and I'm going to explain God. So I thought real hard. I said, all right. God was before anything else was. Do you agree with that statement? That God just is the power of God. And, and, and God, he, he made the earth, and he spoke, and things happened. And, and God created man and breathed life into man. And God had a relationship with man. And then man sinned, and God kicked Adam out of the garden. But God didn't want to lose that connection. And so God began to institute sacrifices in the Old Testament. And I could see my professor going, you're right. Yes, and so he said, so, so I kept going, I'm feeling good now. I said, so, so, so they, would, they could kill 
an animal, they could kill a, a lamb, and, and it would roll their sins back. But God longed to, to have a better relationship with man, and so one day God became flesh. God came down and, and, and walked among us, and we could see him, and we could touch him. And, and then God, God went to the cross, and God died. And three days later, God rose, and, and, and now we have in my, my professor, he said, he said, stop, God died? For three days, the world had no God? Yeah, anybody see a problem with that? You, you can't have a God that dies. That's why the Bible says that, that God is a spirit, and a spirit does not have flesh and blood. So this is why the Bible can say that Jesus Christ upholds all things by the word of his power. That while Jesus is walking on this earth, now understand, not all of, not, you know, first off, God, let me get it right, God is everywhere, right? Everybody believe that? He's all-powerful, all-knowing. He's greater. He, he, he expands more than the universe expands. Anybody understand where I'm going? When Jesus was walking there, if Jesus decided to take a trip to Bethlehem, did that mean God left Galilee? When, when, when Jesus was walking on the earth, did that mean while he walked through the Palestine and Israel, did that mean somewhere in Africa there was no God? Absolutely not. And so while Jesus walked the earth, he is, what did the Bible say? The fullness of the God dwelled what? Bodily in Jesus, the humanity. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more just to make sure you understand why the humanity of Jesus is so important. But, but in, in, in essence, that, that the one who, he, he, he's the one that holds things together. And God held it together in the Old Testament. And when God came down in the New Testament, and he came down... As man, so that there could be a supreme sacrifice. If we hopefully we can get there tonight to that sacrifice part, he was still holding the worlds together. And when they put that body in the grave, God was still holding things together. It wasn't God that died; it was humanity. And I'm, I'm, we're gonna get to that. I promise, we're gonna get to that to explain it. So not only is he the express image, and not only does he uphold all things, but he purges our sins. Here's a glimpse of where I want to get to. He purges our sins, meaning that the, 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 the ultimate purpose of the incarnation of Jesus Christ, Luke chapter 19, verse 10, Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Are you ready? The cross was God's final answer. To sin's problem. I had that, what, what was it? Do you want to be a millionaire? Is that the one that used to say, is that your final answer? One of those game shows, that was, that was their big line. Is that your final answer? Are you sure? Can I tell you right now? Without the incarnation, without the death of Jesus Christ, without the burial of Jesus Christ, without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, without Golgotha's hill, sin would still run rampant. But that's why you and I, we can stand here today and say sin no longer can have a hold on us. Death, where is thy sting? Grave, where is thy victory? Why? Because the greatest thing was he purged our sins. Jesus demolished the barrier of sin that was between God and humanity. <laughs> it's why 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, For he made him who know no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And you can't have atonement 
without the shedding of blood. You can't get a saving gospel without something dying, a spotless lamb. But I'm glad it's not just the death we talk about. It's important. But the the seventh thing that that Jesus is, and we've only gotten through the first three verses, my goodness. The, the, The next thing, that the seventh thing that Jesus is, is he reigns with all authority. It says he, when he had accomplished the highest purpose of that incarnation, when he purged our sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. That, that's well, that's a, a metaphoric term of, of, of power. Number one, the term, just the simple term that he sat down denotes that he had finished. When, do, do you remember, and, and I know I'm way all over the Bible, but it, it's just pulling. Do you remember when Samuel came to Jesse, uh, David's dad, and Samuel said, I'm gonna, I, I've come to anoint a king. And so they, they, they brought the first son of Jesse. I can't remember his name. He was, the, you know, he was tall and strong, looked great, looked like a king. And Jesse said, that's not the one God told me to anoint. And they bring all of the sons. And finally, they've gone through them all. God has not released Jesse to, to, to anoint that. And, he, and finally, Jesse says, do you have any other children? And, Je- and Jesse goes, yeah, you know what? I got David. He's out on the backside. We don't think much about him. And, and he said, go get, go get David. And we're not going to sit until he's here. What, what Samuel was saying was the job's not done. So we're not going to rest until the job is done. This fact of Jesus, when it says after that he had purged our sins, he sat down, uh, when, and, and I love the phrase, it says when he had by himself. He didn't need any help. He didn't need anybody to give him any advice. He did it all by himself, but he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, meaning that he said, that's why on the cross, when he died, he said, it is finished. Nothing else is needed. I've done everything needed to happen. And he sits down in his power and his glory. And and if you will, he says, the rest is up to you. I've done everything I need to do. Now you just have to accept that. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says that he must reign until he has put all the enemies under his feet. And the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. That's what it means. He sat down. I, I think we just need to take a moment. I feel the presence of God. I wonder if you could just lift your hands. Why don't you just take a moment? We've given you seven reasons why Jesus Christ, God Almighty, is incredible. Why don't you lift your hands and just talk to him for a moment? Hallelujah. Lord, I love you and I praise you. I thank you for your word that's so powerful, allowing us to see. I know we're taking the time and it's a little slow, but God, we're seeing your glory and your majesty and your presence. I want to know more about who you are. I want to understand as much as my humanity can understand. I want to know you. I want to see you. And I want to give you glory in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Can y'all go a little bit longer? Let, let, let's see where we can go. We may not get through the second chapter, but I think we, we, we got to at least try. Why don't you turn with me to the book of Hebrews? And in fact, let, you know what? I'm not going to even try, but I want to go here. Turn to book of Hebrews, uh, brother Mike, and, and give me Hebrews chapter one. And this is where we're going to end because I'm afraid that we we can't get through this other one. It'd be nine thirty before I could get done with the other with chapter two. And I don't want to leave you hanging. 
So I want you to have some. But I want to I go through this. So we've already talked about the presence of God and everything that, G, that Jesus is and, and, and what it means. And, and, um, and, and we're going to get into the angel parts. We're going to get into, into why he's better than the angels. But I, I want to I skip ahead for just a moment to chapter 2, verse 1. Can you do that, Brother Mike? Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 1. Now, now we're going to talk about why he's better than the angels, but I, I want to show you this. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by the angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was then confirmed unto us by them that heard him, God also bearing them witness both with signs and wonders and divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his will. We're fit, we're in, uh, next week, we'll get to it. Next, next Wednesday night, we're going to talk about why Jesus is better than the angels. Because there's no way. I, I could only scratch the surface in the next little bit. But... Uh, Let's look at some places for the Hebrew. For the Hebrews, angels were very important to them. Go, go to, go to Abraham. How many times in Abraham's life did angels appear to Abraham and talk to him and, and give him commandments? And and there was an angel that appeared to Abraham and said, "You are going to have a son. I know you're old and your wife is old and you think she's barren, but God promises you're going to have a son." And Abraham said, "Yes, sir." Now, I know sometimes he laughed, but, but he did accept it. It was, it was an angel talking to him. Uh, there's other places. Uh, Jacob, we, we read that, what was it, last, uh, um, last Sunday. Jacob, he, he saw visions of angels and says the Lord is in this place. They took a very high view of the angelic realm. Um, when you read the giving of the law, all that glory and thunder and lightning, if you really read that, and especially if you talk to, to a Hebrew, they will tell you that that glory and lightning was not some weather phenomenon, but that was the angels encamping around about that mountain. So let's go all the way to the incarnation. What, did, what, what happened to, to Joseph? An angel came to Joseph. Or first off, an angel came to Mary, right? Gabriel. And said, Mary, blessed art thou among women. You're, you know, you're, 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 the Holy Ghost has overshadowed you. And you are, you are going to bear, you're going to bear a son. You're going to call his name Jesus. Now, she didn't go, ah, it's an angel. Who cares? She said, no, no. Angel spoke. I'm going to listen. And then, then it happened to, to Joseph. An angel came and said, Joseph, fear not to take Mary uh, for thee, to, unto thee thy wife, because that which is in her is conceived by the Holy Spirit. So, so Joseph said, angel spoke. I'm going to listen. But watch this. Let me just remind you. It says this. If the angels, if, if an angel came and knocked on your door and, and woke you up and began to speak to you, you'd be like, all right. Angel, Gabriel was right there. If we're going to listen to the angels, and that's what he was telling these, these Jewish, because this is first and foremost written to a Jewish audience. He says, if, you're gonna, if you believe that the angel's word was steadfast, how much more ought to be the word of God manifest in flesh that walked among us? He said, if you believe that the, the angel Gabriel could speak the truth, then let me show you, you need to make sure you pay attention to what Jesus said and those that walked with Jesus and those that, that, that followed him and now there's signs and wonders following. He said, don't let any of that slip. Give it more earnest heed to the things 
that Jesus has spoken. And it's just one more way to describe that Jesus is better. I hope I didn't leave you hanging too much, but I'm afraid that we'd go way long. Next week, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it, and we're going we're gonna to finish up verse chapter 1 and chapter 2, and we're going to get into why Jesus is better than the angels. And we're going to pull from all of that this power of the incarnation, the power of God manifest in the flesh. I want us just to stand for a moment. One more time, I want us just to lift our hands, and I want us to say, Lord, would you let the word of God...